Bibles, if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps open to the book of Genesis, today we're going to be in chapter 8, and you're going to, you and I are going to study the very familiar story of Noah. Chapter 8, where we read verses 8, I'm sorry, verses 15 through 22, and then you can keep your Bibles open because I'll be looking back to some verses in chapter 7 and then also chapter 6. Hear God's word. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his son's wives, all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cool and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. The word of God for us today. Thanks be to God. I'll always remember a time, I think it was like the first year I was a pastor. And one of the members of my church came to me and said, Pastor Bob, do you, do you believe that the story of Noah really happened? And I, I answered, I said, sure I do. And, and I wasn't judgmental, I wasn't condescending, because I think it's important that people grapple with the text. I think it's important that people wrestle with the things that they read. And my hope is that they will come to understand the, the truth of Scripture and that it is applicable today for our lives just as, as it was back in the early days. But if you read the story, there's a lot that we may not completely understand. And, and that's okay. God doesn't give us every detail. We know that Noah was righteous. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9 tells us that Noah was a righteous man, that he was blameless, that he walked with God. And we know that God was deeply grieved, deeply saddened by the human condition, by the rebellious nature of the people. And so God decided to judge the earth by sending a tremendous flood which would destroy everything. I cannot imagine the broken heart of God, that God would be led, uh, led to do that, but that's what we read. And then God chose to spare Noah and his family, being that Noah was righteous and, blamely and walk, blameless and walked with God. So God commanded Noah to build an ark. And some of the slides today are just some of the artist's depictions or ways that we imagine that it might have uh, looked. 
So Noah obeyed God. He builds the ark and then populated it with all the living creatures. God shut Noah and his family and all the living creatures in the ark. I kind of like to say that he just brought the zoo with him. That's the easy way to say it, that Noah just got the zoo, one of a pairs of each one of them, and brought them all on the ark. And God's desire in all of this was to restore humanity, to restore that which was broken. There are a lot of parts I don't understand, like how Noah built the thing. How'd he do that? Right? I mean, I, I can barely fix my fence in the backyard, let alone do something like that. Or how did God shut the door? Because it said God shut the door and sealed Noah in. Right? Or um, how did they have enough food to eat? God told them to bring food, but how, how did they have enough for all of the people and all the animals? Or how did they sleep with all that racket going on? Surely all the animals didn't go to sleep at the same time. Some of them don't sleep. They stand up and they look around at you, right? Or how did they deal with the odor? Was there Febreze on the ark? I don't know. Or why would God's heart be so grieved at what God had created? These are questions that we ask and we pray that God helps us to understand the bigger meaning. But I'm reminded today that just because I don't understand all of the details, that that does not mean it is not true. We think about this. You and I live on a rock, all right? We live on a big rock, the third rock from the sun. And the rock on which we live spins at 1,000 miles an hour, right? And while it's spinning, it is revolving around a ball of fire, of radiation gas, all suspended in the middle of space, Right? And then our earth is part of a solar system and our solar system is going about a half a million miles an hour revolving around the center of the Milky Way galaxy. I don't understand that. But I'm able to drive to church today in a combustion engine. I I can jump on a plane and fly somewhere even though the whole thing is spinning like amazing, right? I can get on a boat and um, go down the river. I can get on a train and travel somewhere on a pair of tracks. So all of this is happening while the earth is rotating and the earth is revolving and the solar system is revolving. I don't understand all that. Maybe some physicists can help me. But at the end of the day, just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it's the laws of physics are not true and All that is not true. Hence, getting back to the story of of Noah. Chapter 7 says, For 40 days, in verse, um, let's see, let me back up. Chapter 7, verse 1. The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every clean animal. You need to remember that. Seven pairs of every clean animal. A male and its mate. And one pair of every kind of unclean animal. A male and its mate. And also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female. To keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. 
Seven days from now, I will send rain uh, to the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. And I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature. And then chapter 7, verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And then verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came to the earth. And then fast forwarding a little bit if you're following along. I don't have all of the verses on the big screen today. So you can listen or just follow along. Verse 17 through 24. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth. As the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose gently on the earth. And all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swarm over the earth, and all mankind. So it was devastated. Everything on dry land that had breath of life in its nostril died. Every living thing on the face was wiped out. People and animals and the creatures that move along the ground and the birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him on the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, we see this verse. God remembered Noah. God didn't say anything. God didn't say anything to Noah. God didn't say anything at all. God was silent. But the narrator tells us God remembered Noah. And after 40 days, Noah opened the window that he had been commanded to make in the ark. And he sent out a raven that kept flying around. So he, he sensed that there was no dry land. And then he sent out a dove. And the, the dove came back because there was no place for the dove to land. And finally, he sent a dove out. And the dove came back. Do you remember what it had in its grasp? In its beak? It had an olive leaf. And this told Noah that there was dry land because the olives grow in valleys. And so Noah sensed that the water had receded from the earth. And then in verse ch- uh, chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, we hear this. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah had then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. And then verse 8, chapter 8, verse 20. Then, this is, this is our key passage. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. Taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The very first thing Noah did when he came out of the ark was to worship. He built an altar. He worshiped. Dr. Sam Ballantyne was one of my professors at BTSR in seminary. I had him for Hebrew and for Old Testament. And he wrote a book called The Torah's Vision for Worship. And the Torah is the a compilation of the first five books in the Bible. And he writes, Ballantyne does, of a critical turning point in God's deliberations with a fragile world. And he says that the turning point occurs with Noah. 
And it is the first, quote, clearly defined act of worship in the Hebrew Bible. Dr. Ballantyne says that Noah's worship was, it, it combined ritual and spontaneity. They, folks, they didn't have one of these orders of worship. All right? All right. He didn't work up a bulletin. Right? He didn't assemble people. He worshiped. It was spontaneous. And Ballantyne says his worship contained no words. How many of you have been to a worship service where nothing was spoken? Not often. I, I've, I've experienced that in, in seminary, uh, but it's not something often that we experience. And it was simply an act of thanksgiving. Noah came from the ark, made an altar, and it was to give thanks to God, and he made an offering. The scene was a simple, rugged altar, most likely of stone, built on common ground, not on a structure. He didn't build a, a structure. And he made a whole burnt offering, and he, he took what God had provided him, specifically, I believe, for worship, because there were clean and unclean animals on the ark. And so he took that which was clean suitable for God and worshiped God and offered that as a sacrifice there was no priest to mediate for for Noah there was no one else that says uh, Noah I have to do that for you because you can't communicate with God directly Noah offered that unassisted just by the grace of God and the offering was a natural and immediate response to, of thanksgiving to God that emerges out of the concrete experience of having been delivered from the flood waters. Noah, this is what Noah did not do. Noah did not do an end zone dance when he emerged from the ark. I probably would have. Woohoo! He did not dab. I still don't know how to dab. Middle school daughter, and I still can't figure it out. He did not say to the cameras, We're going to Disney World! He did not use sanitizer and spray Febreze when he got out so that everything was smelling nice and sweet. He didn't build a temple. He didn't build a house for himself and his family. He didn't go out and buy some new lambskin garment after being in that ark for all that time. He didn't ask their family, hey everybody, what do you think we should do? He didn't sing a song, say a prayer, preach a sermon. He didn't put product in his hair, put on skinny jeans and a mic and have worship. He just built an altar and worshiped God. We can learn a lot from Noah. Noah's worship had an effect on God before there was grief on the heart of God. But now there is resolve. The offering moved God's heart so much that it, God entered into a covenant and said, never again am I going to do this. Even though the heart of human beings is still rebellious, never again will I do this. And then in verse, it goes from grief to grace. In verse 6 of chapter 6, the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth and His heart was deeply troubled. But after this worship and, 
as it's described in verse 20 of chapter 8. Verse 21 says, The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said this in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the heart, human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. The act of worship that Noah offered after he came out of the ark Ark moved the heart of God so much so that God gave His grace and entered into a covenant with Noah and said, never again will I do what I have just done. And I believe that God desires that our worship move His heart. And if you're taking notes and like to reflect on this this week, there's some questions that we can ask. Um, My question is, what moves the heart of God? And I believe first, When we give our first and best, it moves the heart of God. God prepared Noah. Noah was instructed to take clean and unclean animals. And I believe those were for the purpose of worship. And the very first thing that Noah did when he came out of the ark was to worship. That was his first act. God, I believe, desires that the first thing that we do when we wake up in the morning is worship. Thank you, God, for waking me up today. Thank you for helping me have breath. Thank you for helping me put one foot in front of the other. Thank you for providing for me today and have an attitude of gratitude throughout our day that we live in a lifestyle of worship, giving our first and our very best. And you know something, folks? Our best is not perfect. This is not the most perfect sermon. This is not the most perfect worship service that we could have put together. This is not the most perfect church. We live in an imperfect world. We are just called, I believe, to give our first and our best. And we give that to God as an offering. I pray that we can have that attitude as we live each day. Second, I believe that the heart of God is moved when church members are not attenders and are not consumers, but we are contributors. That we just don't, well, I'm going to attend. I'm just going to, you know, it's obligation. We've always done it this way. We're, you know, we're just going to, we just go. You know, that's what, our, that's what we do. I believe that the heart of God is moved and when we are not just attenders or consumers. Like when we say, well, I'm not happy with X, Y, or Z, so I'm not going. Or I would like it this way. And could you imagine if we sought every church member's opinion if, as, as we plan worship each week, what it would look like? And I, I, I believe that God wouldn't be happy with that at all. So God desires that we don't have a consumer kind of mindset, but that God wants us to be contributors. God wants us to engage in worship. God wants us to give of our time and our talents, our calendar, our financials. He wants us to have hearts of compassion like I saw yesterday at the clinic. And I believe when we become contributors, when we are engaging in worship out of obedience, even though what we do isn't perfect, that God's heart is moved. And then third, I believe that it moves the heart of God when young people know they matter. When we value young people. There's a great story that I read in an article in the September issue of Christianity Today. And the title of the article is Put Away the Skinny Jeans. And I want you to hear this. An enthusiastic group of 20-somethings from Emmanuel Church of the Nazarene in Lansdale, Pennsylvania, recently gathered to share what they love about their congregation. 
One noted that the modern worship music and the relevant messages at Sunday morning services was great. Another said that the spiritual depth of the community challenges her to follow Jesus. Still another mentioned the friendships built during mission trips, and we can experience that here. But when, what, when 122 offered her two-word answer, every head nodded. It wasn't the name of a program. It was a person, Bill Wallace. Whether he's attending their Bible study, showing up to a basketball game, or simply saying hello in the hallway, Wallace has made it his mission to ensure that young people know they matter. Wallace is 76 years old. Remembering a childhood when adults failed to show up for his important events, Wallace resolved that no young person at Emmanuel would experience the same on his watch. Now Wallace and a cadre of senior adults keep showing up not only at church, but all over town to cheer on the young people of their church to remind them that they have family at Emmanuel. He's even written a passionate manifesto to recruit other senior adults to join his cause. This is what I call multi-generational worship. We interviewed about uh, 10, right John and Philip, about 10 of our college students a few weeks ago before they went off to campus about worship here at HRBC. And we wanted to know some of the things that they value and they said stuff just like this. Many of our college students have been raised in our church, didn't talk about the programs or things like that as much, but they talked about people who knew their name, people who had poured into them over the years, who had mentored them. At the end of the day, young people appreciate it when they are valued. And I believe that what it's going to take to reach the next generation today is not the latest and greatest in worship, although we need to do our best. It is not what maybe the preacher wears, or it is not the building necessarily, how it looks or or what, what it has, but it's the people who are inside that make all the difference. And I, I believe that if our senior adults can grasp this and begin to pour their hearts into the lives of our young people, how much of a difference would it make? You do a great job already, but could you imagine what it looked like if a contingency of seniors would show up at one of our kids' concerts or ball games, or if they were writing notes, or if they went up to the youth room and just hung out for a while. Could you imagine what that would be like? So I just sense that God is up to something, and it moves the heart of God when we say that young people matter to God. And number four, when worship moves our hearts towards mercy, it moves the heart of God. When God sees mercy pouring out of us, God's heart is moved. And I saw that happen yesterday. I saw people touched in a very intimate and real way at the clinic here at HRBC. From the parking lot to the way you greeted people to the way you cared for them when they came into the sanctuary, our advocates got to know them and led them through the church to the various stations that they might have their needs met, ate with them. And folks, that's what it's all about. It's all about worship, and that's worship at its true essence when we show mercy to God's creatures. So I want to thank you. If you served in the clinic in some way, if you 
donated something, if you gave money, if you spent time in other parts of the calendar preparing for the clinic, or if you came yesterday and volunteered, I would just like you to stand up, please. If you had anything to do with the clinic, I want you just to stand up. And others of you who might not be standing, you still supported this mission. And I thank you. Y'all be seated. Uh, You prayed. You supported your family member who was involved. So in one way or another, every part of our congregation had something to do with the clinic yesterday. And, you know, some people say, well, pastor, we had less people this year than we did last year. And that's true. Maybe there was less of need. Who knows? We're doing a second clinic in Oregon Hill next month, so they didn't have to come all the way over here yesterday. That's cool. And I'm excited about taking this mission to the community, which is a wonderful way for us to be missional, right? And yesterday, there were opportunities for people to engage at a deeper level. We weren't rushed. People didn't have to wait in tremendously long lines. So we just have to be faithful with whomever God sends our way. We minister to them no matter what. We offer our first and our best. And I am convinced yesterday that the heart of God was moved. We'll close with this verse. Hosea 6.6 All God desires is that we bring our first and best. And he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. Let's pray.